Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tad. <clears throat> well, good morning and happy new year, Church on Mill. Uh, as Pastor Tad said, my name is Josh Bond. Um, I've been serving here as a pastoral resident since August, um, and it's been great to become a part of this church family and to be so warmly welcomed by you all here. So thank you for um, welcoming me into Church on Mill. Um, last week, Mike preached to us, Mike Bond, my uncle, I'm sorry, you're subjected to two consecutive weeks of bonds in the pulpit, um, but as Mike preached to us from 2 John last week, I'm very excited to preach to you today from 3 John. If you're in one of our blue Bibles, uh, 3 John is located on page 593. It'll also be on the screen, um, so as we prepare to hear from God's word, um, we will hear from 3 John. This is God's word in 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. This is God's word. Well, having heard from Second John last week, most of the background for Third John is pretty similar. It's written by the Apostle John um, at the end of the first century, so it's probably one of the last books of the New Testament to be written. Um, I confess that when I started studying First John, or Third John rather, um, I felt a little daunted by it because it, at first glance, feels so mundane, um, like a pretty typical letter written from a pastor to his friend. Um, it's just John talking to his friend Gaius about some people we don't know, about some events we weren't there for, and so what's the point of this? Um, more to the point, why is this in the Bible? 
We confess that the Holy Spirit has inspired all Scripture and given it to us as the church. So what is he saying with 3 John? Let me invite us to think of John's three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, um, as they sit together in the New Testament. Think of them as three progressively zooming in guides to Christian life that all revolve around this idea of Christians walking in the truth. So 1st John, think of it like this, 1st John begins with sort of a general theology of Christian living. And it says, if you're genuinely a follower of Christ, you'll know it by your walk. You'll walk in the truth. You'll abide in it. You'll live a holy, loving life. You'll walk in the way of Jesus. Second John zooms in on a local church, and it kind of gives us a vision of how does the local church uphold the truth and walk in it. Third John then, which we're looking at today, zooms in even further on some individual people in the New Testament church and shows what it looks like for individuals to walk in the church, in the truth within the church. So the main point of 3 John is to say that those who are genuinely in Christ walk in the truth. Those who are genuinely in Christ walk in the truth. It shows us this by focusing on four individual people. Gaius and Diotrephes, who are kind of the main body of the letter, Demetrius, and then John himself, the author of the book. And each of these figures shows us in one way or another what it looks like to walk in the truth. So this morning, as we walk through 3 John, we'll use these four people as sort of examples of what walking in the truth looks like. So see 3 John as this uniquely vivid picture of New Testament church life in the Bible. So uh, we will look first at John, who models how church elders and leaders should walk in the truth. Then we'll move to the body of the letter and look at Gaius and Diotrephes. Gaius shows us what a church member walking in the truth looks like, and Diotrephes a negative example. He shows what walking in the truth does not look like. He walks contrary to the truth. And then we'll close briefly with Demetrius at the end and talk about uh, the true testimony of the Christian community and how that shapes our ongoing mission in the church. But let's jump right in after that kind of roadmap of the sermon. Let's jump in to John, the elder walking in the truth. John is an apostle. He uh, was one of Jesus' disciples, but he calls himself the elder here, the pastor. And Mike explained well last week that John is probably, by calling himself the elder, kind of speaking to the fact that he's one of the last living apostles, and so he had um, an authority that would have been recognized in the early church. But I also think there's a sense here in which John is writing to Gaius in 3 John as a pastor. He's writing with pastoral concern to Gaius. And so, I think we can look to John here as a model of how we should expect elders to walk in the truth as they minister. So, what does John model as an elder? We'll take note here of a few things. First, just kind of the overall shape and character of John's leadership. 
Um, John leads as an elder by exerting authority and expressing love. Authority, godly authority here, is wrapped up in the title of elder. Um, it's, you see it when John calls Gaius his child in the faith. He gives Gaius commands. He encourages him to keep doing certain things, refrain from doing other things. He goes on to criticize Diotrephes in verse 9 on the grounds that Diotrephes does not recognize his authority. John has God-given authority as an elder. Brothers and sisters, God has appointed good authorities for us to submit to in this life. Even as much as that's a truth we don't always love embracing, it's especially true in the church. Third John assumes that our elders are men appointed by God there to protect us and build us up and nurture us. So, insofar as our elders walk in the truth of the gospel after the pattern of Christ, we should follow them. But John's authority here is not domineering or tyrannical. It's driven by godly love. John calls Gaius beloved four times in 15 verses here, and also a fifth one, the one I love in truth. He never hesitates to express his deep affection for his child in the faith. Verse 4 says John has no greater joy than to see the people he ministers to abound and, and walk in the truth. Think of that, no greater joy. Look also at the prayer John prays for Gaius in verse 2. We should long to have people pray for us like this. He says, Gaius, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Even though we confess material wellness and health are not the most important things in life, that's not the point, still, John prays for Gaius to prosper and be healthy. Why? Because he warmly loves Gaius. He wants his good. And yet, John still prioritizes, ultimately, the wellness of Gaius' soul. He says, I hope you do well in life. I hope you're healthy. But I know you are safely bound in Christ. I know it's well with your soul. Finally, notice how John leads in the truth by offering his presence. In both verses 10 and 14, uh, John encourages Gaius with the promise of his presence. In many ways, he's writing this letter to Gaius to assure him and encourage him um, and he does that in part by being present with Gaius. He says, Gaius, you're being faithful, you're walking in the truth, so hold on, keep up the good work. I will come to help. I will come be there for you. For any of us who find ourselves in a position of leadership, whether we're in a ministry leadership position, or we are a spouse, or a parent, or a sibling, or discipling a brother or sister in Christ, realize that your presence matters, probably more than you realize. Merely being present powerfully expresses love. Even as Christians, we confess that Jesus has said to us, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. But see, in all this, John models elders ought to pray with deep affection for their people, they should delight to see church members growing and walking in the truth. They should exercise their God-given God, uh, God authority with godly love. 
and they should be present, involved with, and among the church. Church on Mill, these are qualities we should expect from our elders. Not only expect, we should long for in our elders. And we can praise God, as a matter of fact, because we have such elders among us. I've seen our elders pray for you in this way, for your health, for your wellness, but even more so for your wellness in Christ, the wellness of your soul. Our elders do love us and truly delight to see us walk in the truth. So let's thank God for the faithful leaders he's raised up among us and hold them to the standard that 3 John sets. So that is John, an elder, walking in the truth. That brings us on to the body of this letter and to Gaius, who's the recipient. So we don't actually know much about who Gaius is or later Diotrephes um, or even a ton about the, the context behind this letter. But we're given John's words as scripture. I think that said, it's helpful to kind of piece together from what John says something of the occasion of this letter, the, the events that caused John to write. Because I think the letter itself gives us context that's helpful here. So it seems that a group of missionaries were sent out from John's church. John sent them out with his blessing, um, his recommendation. And these missionaries passed through Gaius's neck of the woods. Gaius seems to be a prominent, mature church member wherever he is at, at a different church from John. And when these missionaries come to Gaius's church, Gaius receives them. He welcomes them upon the testimony of John. They had like a letter of recommendation. Gaius received them, probably welcomed them and hosted them in his own house and uh, treated them well with love, probably gave them food and money. Um, but Diotrephes, who is probably either a leader in Gaius's church or a neighboring church, rejected these missionaries. He refused them. It seems that b before 3 John was written, these missionaries circled back to John's church and gave a report. And they said, Gaius treated us with truth. He treated us with love. That's what verses 3 and 6 say. John says, these brothers testified to your truth before the whole church. They testified to the love you showed them. But it seems there's division in Gaius's church over the whole affair because you had two prominent leaders in the church, Gaius, receive and welcome these missionaries, and Diotrephes, reject them. So there's probably not only division, but some confusion. So John's purpose in writing to Gaius is to encourage him, to tell him, you've done well. You have walked in the truth. You did what you were supposed to. So for our purposes, looking into the life of the church, Gaius serves as an example of what a church member walking in the truth looks like. And we know this because John tells us that much. He tells us so many positive things about Gaius. He says, it's well with Gaius' soul in verse 2. He is true in verse 3. He walks in the truth in verse 4. He does a faithful thing in verse 6. He shows love, or in verse 5, he shows love in verse 6. He's got nothing but good things to say about Gaius, it seems. According to John, though, he, the, 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 the central thing 
that Gaius has done that accords with the truth is the hospitality he's shown to these missionaries who pass through. That's what John focuses on here. And John describes Gaius welcoming um, these brothers and strangers. Brothers, strangers as they are, he says. They were brothers in that they were fellow Christians. Remember that if we are in Christ, we are bonded more closely to those who have also been saved by Christ than any other relationship in life. They are brothers and sisters. And yet, practically speaking, they were strangers for Gaius. He'd never met these people before and only had the testimony of John to accept them on. But John's not just telling Gaius, Gaius, you're such a nice guy because you hosted my friends when they were traveling. That's not what he's saying. He literally says, it is a faithful work you do for them. What does he mean by faithful? It's not faithful to John, per se. It's faithful to Christ, faithful to the gospel. When John calls Gaius' work faithful, he is saying Gaius' act of hospitality resonated rightly with his Christian confession. It was an example of him walking in the truth. It, It resonated right with the gospel. How does hospitality connect to the gospel? We need to look at John's explanation in verses 7 and 8. He says hospitality flows out of the gospel. It's a consequence. We have to understand, by way of context, um, for these missionaries traveling, it was really common in that time, in that part of the world, for traveling preachers to go all around the Mediterranean from different religions and different philosophies and cults, and they would preach to the countryside or cities, and they would usually expect something in return. People would pay them to preach, or they'd get put up, or they'd get fed a nice meal for preaching. Some historians tell us that these traveling preachers made a killing doing this. Um, they even, there are even some books that survive of some of these traveling preachers boasting about how much money they were bringing back from all these country folk they were preaching to. Verse 7 is saying that for the sake of the, for Gaius, Christian missionaries, those who go out for the sake of the name of Jesus, Christian missionaries should not be like that. They should not be profiting out of the pockets of the people they're evangelizing. It's instructive for us today. Instead, John says in verse 8, the church should support them. We should support these people. They should not have any need of food or shelter when there is a church, when there are brothers and sisters there to support them. So hosting and supporting missionaries, hospitality here is a way, says John, of responding to the Great Commission and fulfilling it of Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations. Brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, all of us are called to make disciples of all nations. Some of us are surely called to go um, make disciples of unreached people, to go out for the sake of the name, like these missionaries in 3 John. But even if we are not personally called to go like that, we are certainly called to send. I think this bit is really exciting here in 3 John because we talk about missions a lot. We don't always get to... it, It feels sometimes like we don't see it in the New Testament that much, especially after Paul. But here, in 3 John, we get a picture not only of missionaries traveling in the early church, but also a picture of a network of churches collaborating to support them. 
we also get a command from Scripture saying that we ought to support the furtherance of the gospel. Third John shows us we can walk in the truth by hosting and supporting the ones who go out for the sake of Jesus' name. So that picture of Gaius taking in and hosting the missionaries, let that shape how we as Church on Mill think about the missionaries we support. We give support and prayer and money, even hospitality, to missionaries in Italy and Scotland and, and the Hoshawaras, not to mention all the fellow workers in the truth we support stateside, even here at Church on Mill. For some of us, some of these missionaries we support are brothers and sisters in Christ, although they are strangers. You might not have met some of them. But Third John says, don't let that stop you from supporting them, from praying for them and giving. Don't let that stop you, even if the need from, arises, from housing one of them in your own home. Because... These missionaries we support have received true testimony, commendations from brothers and sisters who you do know, even from your elders. Just like the missionaries in 3 John had received true testimony and recommendation from John himself. Therefore, let's walk in the truth as Church on Mill by supporting those who go out in Jesus' name. John point to Gaius is that is a way of walking in the gospel. We support missionaries in Christ because in Christ they are our true brothers and sisters, their family. And in Christ we long that the gospel that has saved us, that same gospel, should be sent out to those who have not yet embraced it. So we support the furtherance of the gospel. Now, where Gaius models what it looks like as a church member to walk in the truth. The letter shifts in the second half of the body to Diotrephes, who models what walking in the truth does not look like. Based on what John says, it seems like Diotrephes was some sort of leader in his church. Whether he was a domineering elder or maybe just a power-hungry church member, he certainly had influence, and he was using it to cause a ruckus, to say the least. We've already said that Diotrephes rejected the missionaries John sent. In verse 9, John says he had written a he said, I wrote something to the church. He had written a letter to Diotrephes' church, Then that's probably giving a commendation for the missionaries and telling the church to support them. But for whatever reason, Diotrephes chose to spurn the letter and refused to have anything to do with the missionaries. Culturally, that was a huge uh, slap in the face to John. To reject someone sent by a leader was to actually reject the sender. Um, even Jesus expresses that in Luke 10:16. He says, "Whoever Jesus says, whoever rejects my disciples is actually rejecting God." So Diotrephes shows tremendous disrespect and scorn for John, who is a God-appointed leader of the church. So Diotrephes, in this way, does the opposite of everything John praised Gaius for. Diotrephes rejected John's God-given authority instead of following it. He goes on to spread uh, slander, malicious gossip about John and the apostles. 
Um, he rejected the missionaries instead of supporting them. And further, it says, he throws the people who want to support the missionaries out of the church. He draws a line in the sand and says, it's me or these John-sent missionaries. If you go with them, you can take a hike. He split his church in half over it. That's extreme. Where Gaius walked in the truth by treating the stranger in Christ as true brothers and sisters, Diotrephes contradicted the truth by treating his own fellow church members as enemies. Why? Why was Diotrephes doing this? Why was he so opposed to John and the missionaries? We have John's um, judgment on the matter in verse 9. He says the root of Diotrephes' problem is that Diotrephes loves to be first. That's the root. He needed so badly to be first, to be the center, to be in charge in everything, that he grew to resent any authority over him, even John. And so he rejected anything that had to do with John, probably out of spite. And note here, Diotrephes' problem, as far as we're told, doesn't relate to false teaching or bad theology. His problem stems from his heart. Maybe he knew the truth. Maybe he had good theology. But he doesn't walk in it. He doesn't abide in it. I think the point of application here is that John, John's assuming sound doctrine and good theology. He's not saying that's not important. He's assuming it. But he's pushing us to look further. Look and see if that sound doctrine has become rooted deep in your soul, deep in your heart. When it takes root there, that's when it blossoms out and grows fruit. It's not enough to simply know the truth. We must walk in it. If we are genuinely in Christ, made new, we will walk in the truth. And we do need Christ to do that. Because in the deepest parts of our souls, by nature, left to our own devices, each of us really loves to be first as well. We have a sinful nature. All of us, all the rest of Diotrephes' issues were symptoms of that sin of making a little God out of himself, making himself the center of all things. And we are in danger always of being no different. Loving to be first saps the life out of our relationships. And just think of the havoc it must have wreaked in Diotrephes' church as opposed to the self-giving love of Christ that we're called to walk in, that was a sort of black hole of self-love that Diotrephes modeled. So we've, we've seen kind of the main dichotomy of this letter here, the sort of Gaius versus Diotrephes balance in the body of the letter. We're going to conclude by looking at the final verses um, on Demetrius, but before we do, we need to zero in on verse 11. This is the crux of the whole letter. Without verse 11, we run into a danger of seeing this letter as kind of a preachy, moral manifesto, saying, Gaius is really good. Be like Gaius. Do your best. Diotrephes is kind of a stinker. Don't be like him. And that's not... The, 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 the letter of Third John is so much deeper than that. 
So here, verse 11, once more. It says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. It's big. First, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. That command is kind of the rationale between what we've been doing this morning, of viewing the characters of this letter as examples to either emulate or avoid. Follow this pattern, not this pattern. That's what John says, imitate good, don't imitate evil. John's telling Gaius, imitate those who walk in the truth so that Gaius does not become influenced by diatrophies, this sort of schismatic, um, divisive section of the church. Don't be like that. We can therefore read John as telling us, follow the pattern of Gaius, not diatrophies. But why? Is it just because Gaius is so great and John is so great? The second half of verse 11 tells us why, in fact. It says, because we, we, we follow these patterns, we imitate good, because whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Whoever does good is from God. The word from is crucial there. I call it the key of fromness. It's catchy. From is an important idea for John. Sometime it would be great to go read the Gospel of John and pay special attention to how consistently it always talks about Jesus the Son being from the Father and God the Father being the one who sends Jesus. And then it goes on to say that Jesus is the one who comes to his disciples. He comes to his sheep. He comes to his people. And finally, the, at, at uh, John 17, 15 through 18, if you want to look there later, Jesus prays to the Father and he says, Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world. The whole direction of the gospel is always starting with God and flowing out meaning the good things of the gospel trace back to the God who sends. Later at Pentecost, we see the Spirit sent from the Father and the Son come onto the church and send them out. The church is always the people who are sent from God, created from God, made from God. In 3 John, from tells us that knowing God comes first. And then walking in the truth, doing good works, comes as a result. First we know God, then we do good works as a result. The opposite idea would be if John said, the one who does good, imitate the one who does good, because that person moves toward God. But that's not what he says. It's not as if we build up a tower of good deeds. It's not as if we fit the mold of somebody like Gaius or John well enough, and then we've made it. That's not what it says. It says, if we do good, we have been born from God. Those who are genuinely in Christ walk in the truth, not that people should walk in the truth in order to reach Christ. See how Jesus expresses this himself in John 15, 8. He says, by this my Father is glorified, that you, my disciples, bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. It's not that we bear fruit, we do good things in order to become disciples. It's that we bear good fruit when we are already disciples. 
That's the transformative power of the gospel. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 2, verse 10. He says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ for good works. Created first. Which God, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says God prepared good works for us before we were saved. When we embrace Christ, when Christ comes to us, we step into the walk of truth that he prepared for us. Walking in the truth reveals that someone is already in Christ. And that point has massive implications for how we read 3 John. It means 3 John, not a moral manifesto, it's a gospel guide. 3 John's not asking us to check off a bunch of moral boxes in order to earn God's favor. He's not asking us to resolve to try harder through gritted teeth to be as good as we can. We start instead by looking to Jesus. We start by relying on Jesus. We start by embracing the Jesus who comes to us. Because the guilt of our sin is more than we could ever build a tower to outgrow. But there is true forgiveness offered in the sacrifice of Jesus. If you are here today and you do not believe in Jesus yet as the one who reveals truth and goodness to you, shows you God, if you do not call yourself a Christian, I'm glad you're here. I urge you to start with Christ. Don't try to reach God through your moral perfection won't make it. John insists that you will never walk in the truth. You will never have it go well with your soul, like he said in verse 2, if you've not first seen God. And we see God through Jesus. But even for us who are believers, don't leave your walk in the truth up to your own efforts. You need Jesus today just as much as you did the first day you believed. So rely wholeheartedly on him to keep you in the truth. Love, know, and go out in the name of your Savior, and you will walk in the truth. It will be well with your soul. Have it be well with your soul first, and then walk in the truth. Jesus is the one who makes you well. So we end up in verse 12 with Demetrius at the end kind of tacked on. Demetrius is probably the man who delivered the letter um, to Gaius. That's kind of the structure of letters in those days. That, that would make sense if that's who Demetrius is. He might have been also another missionary John had sent out. Whoever he is, he, by what John says about him, is another brother and stranger sent to Gaius from John. Another faithful brother walking in the Christ, walking in the truth, who John says, receive him because he is a brother. I think Demetrius's placement at the end of the letter here gives us a picture of the ongoing mission, our ongoing mission, as the ones sent out from God. In the church, on the mission field, just like in Gaius's day, there is still work for us to do. 
there is a gospel to be preached. There are brothers and sisters to be built up. And so we are called to hope in Christ, pray in Christ, that we would become such people who the truth itself bears witness to, that we walk in the truth according to the grace of Jesus. Let's long that the truth itself would bear witness to us. I think when John says that of Demetrius, he's saying Demetrius' walk in the truth was so evident in how he lived his life that it's as if truth itself was bearing witness to him. The whole church spoke well of him. John himself spoke well of him. He was one who abided in the truth. And so John sent him to do the work of the gospel. And so John sent Gaius. And not ultimately John, of course, we confess, but the Holy Spirit, God himself. We are saved for good works. Those who are genuinely in Christ walk in the truth. So brothers and sisters, let's walk together in the truth. Let's pray to that end. Father God, we thank you dearly for the word you've given us in Third John. We thank you for the salvation that you offer us, the great grace which you show to us. Because God, we confess, we acknowledge that we would not make it on our own. But in you, we can walk in the truth. God, we pray that you would transform us and grow us into the sort of people who walk in the truth. The sort of people who delight to serve you, preach your gospel, to love one another, and to love those who you've sent us to preach the gospel to. We pray in the Spirit, in Christ, that you would enable us to do these things. We thank you for your grace and the goodness you've displayed in revealing yourself to us. It is a gift alone to know you, God, to know and love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.